0: Hello and welcome to the Morbid Museum. We are your hosts, Katie Mead and
1: Luke Boyd.
0: Hello and welcome everybody. So nice to be back with you. Luke, your Fiji mermaids. Obsessed. I'm obsessed with them. I can't stop looking at them. (laughs) They're so monstrous. And also so clearly fake. It's I I'm I'm in love.
1: Ah, so so much fun. What a great what a great subject. It was so delightful.
0: It's perfect. And this week's topic is gonna kind of be a little barnamy in some respects. So that you is. know we always find these uh, connective tissue. And speaking of connective tissue, oh dear. today's episode. I will be discussing anatomy theaters, also known as anatomical theaters. After we decided to interview John Ferry from John's Bones, you know, Luke and I started kicking around. Okay, let's maybe try to focus some episodes around this topic, this sort of like bodies, anatomies, things like that. And so I automatically thought of anatomical and surgical or operating theaters Mm. and when you first hear the term anatomical theater you might think that it refers to like some really disturbing off off broadway show (laughs) which uh it is not the term theater here is used in the sense of theater as a space Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. uh yeah it's not a it's not a performance although that being said In some of these anatomical theaters, they legit could have been located in the Barnum Museum based on how (laughs) they were done. Yeah. And the fact that you could pay to see it Mm. as a member of the public. Mm. So it was an attraction in a sense. Yeah. And that some people thought that this was kind of fun.
1: Mm, I hate that.
0: <laughs> it's edutainment.
1: It's edutainment, but it's also like a how-to for somebody who has bad ideas, right? Uh,
0: uh, morbid curiosity. <laughs> Can we leave it at that, rather than helping serial killers?
1: Yeah, that's where I'm, my mind goes. And this is just furthering the uh, entangling alliances and, and confusion between like morbid anatomy museum that no yes. longer exists and all the other podcasts. Exactly, exactly. But one
0: one image that comes to mind when I think of anatomical theaters, I actually think of. Did you ever see this? There I go again with. Did you ever see? Did you ever hear? Did you ever see the movie From Hell? <sighs>
1: Yes, Johnny Depp about um, the Jack the Ripper.
0: Yeah, so it's one of the theories of Jack the Ripper that Mm -hmm. it may have been involved in like ritualistic killing and that it's also, um, it had to have been someone who was a medical professional. You do see a scene with an anatomical theater at one point. I remember Because the whole thing with Jack the Ripper was this is somebody who understands human anatomy. Mm -hmm. and who the average person doesn't or at least shouldn't so it's not a very good movie actually but <laughs> i love
1: is, how bad it is like it's, it's a good yes, bad movie it's, it's a good
0: bad movie for great sure.
1: like 90s like yeah. just kind of crappy he's just
0: doing opium the whole yes, time there's it's like this great.
1: and the green <laughs> yeah the green fairy is like in the movie a lot so there's yeah. a lot of green undertones oh he,
0: he still just sounds like jack sparrow but it's fine <laughs> Yeah,
1: he's gorgeous. And um, I think there's like a Masonic element, too. So I'm there. Yes,
0: Um. 100%. (laughs) Yes. Like I said, it's all it's supposed to be. But we're not going to get into it because, you know, what? we'll talk about Jack the Ripper in the future for sure, because that's the and the millions of theories around that. But so this also makes me think of growing up uh, for those who are not of my generation who are a bit younger. The channel TLC used to actually be called the learning channel because you used to literally learn things on it rather than just see 90 day fiance.
1: <laughs> right. Like a history channel had history. Correct. Right. Yeah. So
0: you'd be flicking through the TV. Then all of a sudden you'd see a fucking eyeball being operated on. And so like that has really taken the place of this form of entertainment, if you will, this mm-hmm. edutainment mm-hmm. where we can easily just watch this stuff on YouTube, on TV, But to get that kind of juicy, disgusting action, you had to go in person and see it.
1: Right. Not happening (laughs) behind a screen. (laughs) Not shielded from you at all.
0: Exactly. Like, I I could watch, as I've mentioned it on the show before, I could watch vet shows all day. I love watching Mm -hmm. them. But if someone said, here, stand here while I dissect this dog, I would fucking hurl. Mm -hmm. I couldn't do it. There's no way. Because the thing you're missing out on is, like, the the sensory smells, the sounds. Ew. fucking forget it i'm out I'm, yeah. I'm out
1: yeah my dad it was my dad's a big fan of like when tlc had like the animal er shows like i loved
0: those <laughs> oh my god they're
1: so right. bad so freaky so freaky and i remember I there was also that show the baby story remember that show
0: uh that was a horrible that was horrifying tra- show traumatic. and it did it and it did however slightly prepare me for having a baby
1: because yeah, it turned it's me that it, raw, it turned know. me off a lot of the a lot of the uh, the, <laughs> the idea but uh yeah that was a that was a tough one but that was a very real reality tv you know experience where they followed two or three women and taking you through you know the sonogram to the delivery room yeah i remember it being very crazy the way they edited it like censored oh, yeah. it
0: they just blurry vaginas <laughs> right, thank you <laughs>
1: the courage to say what i cannot (laughs) (laughs) oh man
0: but yeah so we can only imagine this with our own modern perspective but we can't sit here and pretend like people don't continue to be obsessed with this stuff shows like fucking dr pimple popper and Mm -hmm. like people love seeing gross human shit we have been this way for centuries. It came up a, a little bit in our conversation with John, but like human anatomy specifically is something that we've always been curious about. Mm-hmm. How does the body function? What does it look like? That is something that people couldn't answer for hundreds of years. <laughs> Studying anatomy up close and personal wasn't considered a priority in learning the art of medicine mm-hmm. for centuries. Mm-hmm. It was information, theoretical stuff that was passed down, reading other people's works and things like that. But actually sitting there and taking a human being apart was not a part of learning medicine, it was just so crazy to fathom and really terrifying.
1: <laughs> right. And to have access to a specimen was either a privilege or you were a criminal and someone who was stealing a
0: body. And we're and we're gonna get into that a little bit too. Um, in fact, we're gonna just hit the ground running right into the late middle ages, early Renaissance. Oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> Cause that's where all of this really starts to change. This is a period that is known for its intense study of and increased interest in human anatomy and the human form. And we don't just see this in the sciences, we see this in the arts. Mm-hmm. And again, that reminds me of John Ferry a lot because his interest in Uh, bones started as his interest in the arts. He wanted to draw a specimen. Mm -hmm. So a major person who should come to mind that was of the time is Mr. Leonardo da Vinci. Ever hear of him? Mm -hmm. Know him?
1: Mm -hmm. (laughs) He wrote a code, right?
0: (laughs) Right. Something, I don't know, some cryptic message. He is the Renaissance man, really. I mean, probably the most curious human being of all time, had his hands in everything, like bordering on an an inability to focus on one thing and just be really good at one thing mm-hmm. in an annoying way almost. And he was a pretty weird dude in the way he approached his art in that he felt like to be able to be a really good artist, specifically focusing on the human form, I got to really get in there. I got to get underneath and see what's going on. So... <laughs> He was a genius, but he's weird. There's different st- statistics or like disagreements, but some people say he dissected as many as thirty bodies. Really? Other people say it was probably closer to ten. Either fucking way, I think once you go past five, <laughs> like that's a lot.
1: It's no longer a hobby. Yeah. Yeah,
0: and you're not a you know you're not a surgeon.
1: Mm-hmm. You're not a
0: doctor. <laughs> yeah. Who are these people? <laughs> not only were they let's say 10 to 30 human beings, they were of various ages and genders. Mm-hmm. So some of these people were perfectly healthy when they would have died. Some of them are have horrible sicknesses and maladies, which is useful because you learn a lot about how the human body both functions and fails when you look at healthy and unhealthy individuals after death. It's said that he did these, as many people would have in his shoes, at nighttime by candlelight in private rooms,
1: mm.
0: likely on bodies that he would have procured via grave robbers.
1: Mm, that makes sense.
0: So, yeah. So, this guy is alone in the dark, surrounded by literally flayed bodies for days at a time. A, di- a dissection back then, they talk about in a bunch of the things that I read, they, it wasn't just like, you know, we're going to do this for like a couple of hours. Like, you would focus on one part of the body. Extensively for a period of time. So, so also, these were generally done in the winter.
1: Yeah. I was going to (laughs) say the stench of it all.
0: Yeah. I mean, and that's the other, again, going back to the sensory experience. As I said to Luke, I lack the intestinal fortitude for this subject area. It's so gross. Um, there's a great quote that I read in an article in the American Journal of Cardiology that said, despite the adverse circumstances, Leonardo, I love also that they called him Leonardo, like their besties. uh, Leonardo (laughs) carried out his dissections with patience, delicacy, and meticulous attention to detail. Minute particles of flesh and muscle were meticulously teased away to expose small blood vessels Mm. until the corpse was too dismembered to permit further dissection. Among Leonardo's many gifts was complete visual recall. Once he saw an object, he could draw it precisely, and he did so after each of his dissections.
1: Well, that was my question, because if he's doing this at night by, like, a candle, I imagine he was, like, bloodily sketching along as he was, but he, he, he could just store it.
0: Crazy notes. He could he's just store it in his brain. Crazy yeah. yeah. When you have a moment, and maybe we'll post basically his, what's now known as the anatomical manuscript A, mm. which is he compiled this series of 18 mostly double sided sheets with like 240 individual drawings 13,000 words of notes all between they they estimate 1504 and 1515 and it's incredible he learned a lot and was the first person to like do certain things like he was one of the first people to ever question the notion of humors because he was finding like physical evidence that this doesn't really make sense. He drew an accurate spine, which apparently no one had really seen or understood the spine that well. Mm-hmm. He did incredibly intricate studies of the heart and the cardiovascular system. He doesn't get it right on everything, you know, he doesn't understand how it totally works, but these are beginnings.
1: But he's presenting an accurate depiction of all the elements
0: the drawings Mm -hmm. are what is really incredible and and he's also he's not the only one to do this but he's the only one who really kind of meets at the middle between this artistic perspective and scientific right approach so it's really special and that that manuscript actually exists in the royal collection trust in england Mm. so it belongs to the crown I don't know if it's on display. It, I was trying to look it up on the website and I couldn't really see it. But as always, England got their hands on it because <laughs> they steal everything.
1: And so, yeah, like the Vitruvian man was Da Vinci.
0: Mm-hmm. So-, yeah. so, Luke, I actually sent you Google Google Slides. I'm I'm doing you a flavor here. And the first slide should be a couple examples of his drawings, which show you like not only how intricate they are, but how important this kind of work would be for people to study.
1: Yes. Right. So this is very artistic and something a precursor of a modern, you know, visual dictionary where you've you've got a leg or a, you know, spinal column seeing it from the outside and then slowly, peeling back the layers of flesh it's which is very disgusting it's very yeah. compelling yeah but it's wild in how yeah. it's in how cuz i'm sure it didn't look like this to him when he was working on it like you know he's he's putting it all back together in his mind too which is I, i'm
0: sure yeah and one of the pictures that i sent to luke that we will post um is essentially it's like a splice of a leg and this is exactly what it looks like when you get like an mri or a cat scan so he's doing that and creating that image so you can see, like, again, it's disgusting. It's like cutting a piece of meat, basically. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I guess that's how he approached this. I don't know. I, was he actually a sociopath? I don't know. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. Thank God he did this work because it really is incredible.
1: Yeah, the leg that's like spliced up like in 16 pieces looks like a butcher. Like It's creepy.
0: It's not. It's, it's uncomfortable, for sure. Yeah. Yes. So enough about him. Let's move forward. He's important to this story just because he's a great example of why access to bodies was so crucial. But this really was a fairly forbidden practice. There had been a papal bull. Again, we're back to the bulls. <laughs> um back in the 14th century that apparently was about it was really meant to specifically talk about not messing with the bodies of those who died during the crusades mm-hmm. but it it was misinterpreted evidently and as it went along it was carried out as if it meant no we don't dissect bodies we don't do that it's disrespectful to the body it's considered religious and also, many people just think it's repugnant. So dissections largely are happening in homes and quietly at night in the winter, like I mentioned before. But at this point, medical schools have begun to exist in Europe. The first known medical school is Scola Medica Salernitana in Salerno, Italy, which no longer exists, but was running between the 11th and 13th centuries. Wow. Isn't that crazy? I don't know if they did dissections. There doesn't seem to be any evidence that they did. Mm. What I read was that the first dissection done in a school would have been in Florence around 1387. And to me, that's so shocking because you would think, why aren't you doing that right off the bat? But like I said at the beginning, it just wasn't considered necessary or a priority at this point Mm -hmm. this is also making me think of my grandmother who (laughs) loved to tell me that italians invented science because this whole episode (laughs) is very italian a lot of this happened in italy so and speaking of of which nat she wasn't wrong so now we're going to focus on the university of padua again we're staying in italy i've
1: come to detect a body here in
0: padua okay good for you (laughs) great reference uh (laughs) kiss me Kate for those that don't know it supposedly was founded in 1222 which makes it the second oldest medical school in Italy and the fifth oldest surviving university in the entire world ancient isn't that incredible
1: so like Oxford it's like in the same league
0: oh yeah 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 and I'll explain now why it's so special in addition to those things again While highly restricted, they do start an anatomy program, but the big issue remains regardless of how people feel about it or what the laws are, what they're allowed to do and not do. It it was often about like, okay, you can dissect a body, but only once every couple of years or something like that. It was that it could be that restrictive depending Mm. on where you were. But the bigger issue remains. There aren't enough bodies available.
1: The issue remains. There's not enough remains.
0: There's not enough remains. We're lacking in remains. Which is hilarious because when you think about how many people are dying literally every day <laughs> in, in this era, it's like you should be pushing bodies out the door. There's so many goddamn bodies everywhere. <laughs> but again, going back to the respect for the dead and sacred vessel, yeah, yeah, religious practices—you can't, you just can't. Mm. If as the person, especially like. No one is willing their bodies to science. It's not a thing, you know? So the church so and the church won't fucking allow it for the most right. part. So with dissections happening so infrequently, how is someone going to get any practical experience seeing the insides of a human being? It's going to have to be done in a larger space that will accommodate more people. Hence mm. our anatomical theaters are born. So, Enter Alexander Benedetti. I'm having a great time. This I am going to pronounce a lot of things not right, but I'm still having a good time. He was a surgeon and teacher of anatomy at uh, Padua, who apparently for every single course he taught on anatomy, he would build a large wooden amphitheater for all of them.
1: Also a carpenter.
0: <laughs> Look, this, I, let me tell you. We, Renaissance people. It's ridiculous. I don't even want to get into how much of a failure I am, but (laughs) so he is really the first one to create the anatomical theater as we Mm. know it in about 1502. There's a writing of what is believed to be the first uh, description of an anatomy theater. And he says a temporary theater should be established in a sizable and well ventilated place with seats around it. And of such a size, yeah, amen, amen to that, and of such a size as to hold a number of spectators so that the dissectors may not be disturbed by the crowd. These should be skilled men who have conducted several dissections. No noobs. (laughs) No noobs at these shows. That's the next show. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Amateur hour.
0: Yeah. Seating must be allotted in order of rank. Oh, yeah there there must be one prefectus or prefect if you are not latin speaking <laughs> to keep an eye on everything and to put people in their places so you know to keep people in line mm-hmm. apparently you could get a little rowdy in there to
1: watch out for the milk duds flying into the bodies
0: you never know uh, <laughs> i think it was a junior mint but yes, oh, yes. <laughs> there must be guards guards to restrain the eager public as it enters to make sure people who don't have the right to be there who also didn't pay to be there are not allowed in there there should be two reliable stewards they should be chosen to make the necessary to take the necessary payments from the money that is collected so he's got this all figured out he's cooking ticket mastering this
1: (laughs) Mm
0: -hmm, mm -hmm. VIP lounge access So we learn a lot from this little paragraph. One, he's focusing this on being predominantly outside, which is for the best, given what they're doing. Accommodating a vast number of people is key because, again, we're talking about these aren't happening very often. So we got to make sure we can get as many people in there to see this as possible. And by rank so that the people of the most importance at the university are in the front rows and then the students and then so on. And then the rabble is obviously all the way in the, in the nosebleed section, if you will. So
1: this was like a temporary pop-up structure.
0: Yes. He created the pop-up.
1: Anatomical theater.
0: <laughs> Anatomical theater. And he is so important, not just because of this teaching style and and the creation of these structures, but because he is a major player in this general movement towards the study of medicine being more than just the study of theory but inviting the idea that it absolutely must include intensive study of the human anatomy in person experiential so, learning absolutely it's important i think i learn better that way for absolutely. sure that's why we fucking work in museums <laughs> yeah. it's more it's more interesting
1: we like to use all of our senses visual learners yeah.
0: Yeah. exactly and padua is amazing because it's not it's not you know when you think of italy it's not like one of the main cities that comes to mind but at this time it is this thriving epicenter in many ways and particularly as (laughs) the epicenter of human dissection
1: the dissection city
0: (laughs) so crazy (laughs) because i mean you can't go to like rome it's totally not allowed there right too catholic yeah no no way um and then ultimately, something major happens in 1536 at the tender age of 22, because no one lived back then. So 22, you He's
1: middle-aged. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> a man named Andreas Veselius, I think is how you say his name, uh, a Flemish physician and anatomist. Is it an anatomist?
1: Anatomist sounds good.
0: Anatomist feels better. Anatomist yeah. sounds right. He becomes the chair of Padua's surgery and anatomy department. Wow, I know, at 22, right? Different time. Oh, and by the way, that wasn't his birth name. Clearly, it, that does not sound even slightly Flemish. <laughs>
1: <laughs> right, I guess that, that's a derivation. European mm-hmm. scholars
0: used to Latinize their True. names to True. sound smart, I guess. Um, so he's best known for his groundbreaking work. Get ready for me saying Latin stuff. Uh, De Humanae Corporis Fabrica Libri Septum.
1: Okay, maybe
0: (laughs) on the fabric of the human body in seven books, which is a lot of books. So this guy also did a lot of dissection,
1: very prolific.
0: He is considered the founder of modern human anatomy, because of his work because of this work that he did in Padua. And because of that, um, because of his his writings. We see some of the earliest and best illustrations of these temporary anatomical theaters showing evidence of kind of what it was like there. And if you see, Luke, I sent you one that looks like a drawing, like a crazy drawing with a lot going on. Yes. That's supposed to be an anatomical theater, where you can see, there's like rank and file. It's it's a kind of a disaster in oh, there. Oh, this is such
1: a Renaissance image, isn't it? Because it's, it's, Gaga. it's like a Where's Waldo? There's like ninety five totally, people. It's like in it like a
0: Highlights magazine.
1: <laughs> it is covered in people. There's people in the rafters. It's in this beautiful setting with these columns. Mm. And there's and then in, in the point of focus, you can't take your mind away. Is the dead body? That's the focus of everyone's attention. They're all surging towards the specimen.
0: Yeah. Whoa. It's incredible.
1: Is there animals in here? I think there's animals. Yeah,
0: there was a dog. I there's think there's a dog. a dog. There's
1: at least one dog. Yeah. Which,
0: why would he draw that if that wasn't true?
1: Yeah, no, the dogs appear in all of these. Dogs had a great time in history. Okay? Dogs had they, a great time in history. Yeah. they <laughs> all over the place. <laughs> they're having a fun time they in these. They have their
0: own museum now in New York. The <laughs> AKC has a museum in Midtown, I think.
1: Yes, does John O'Hurley um, do the audio guide? Because that's the only <laughs> way I can do it. <laughs> and now we have, yeah, yeah. I can't do a good Peterman. A but Thanksgiving um,
0: Day Parade <laughs> concludes with the dog. Our furry friends. Me- yeah, neither one of us can do this. But anyway, mm. from this point forward in the 16th century, anatomical theaters pop up in Paris, Pavie, Montpellier, Basel, Bologna, they are everywhere. They're becoming all the rage, but they are all temporary structures, erected and dismantled, not housed inside permanent buildings or anything, and frankly, located kind of far away from the universities themselves. Because it's still like ick. For a lot of people. Yeah,
1: it's like the fishmongering, the blacksmithing, the rendering, the anatomical theater. Like you're <laughs> the in that you're in theater. that district, which sounds yeah. fun.
0: I mean, depending on what your idea of fun is, sure. I'll uh, a carriage tour, yeah. <laughs> but this obviously, like this building and taking down nonsense is insane. Yeah. So it is decided, and we know for a fact that the first permanent anatomical theater was built at the University of Padua in 1594. And guess what? It's still there. You're kidding. It stands today. Yes, isn't the original that incredible? structure incredible? Yes, it got changed a little bit in like the 1800s. Right, because
1: it was falling um, apart.
0: Uh, they no, they added like a skylight.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Upgraded it. Yeah. yeah,
0: it was a weird. It was a weird part of this story. But apparently, they re- I believe they've retrofitted it back to what it was originally like that before is those changes Fascinating. Were made. It's it's and. Go ahead and look now at the picture of it because it is also stunning.
1: This is what I'm looking at with this wooden, this it's, wooden hang on a concentric circles of wooden rafters. Yep, gorgeous.
0: Isn't it like from it's your beautiful? Wild, it's completely gorgeous, and it the creation of it is really it's one of the most important achievements in medical science during this mm-hmm. time period mm-hmm. because it officially placed anatomy at the foundation of medical studies. It made it the priority which is incredible the anatomical theater of Pedro, which is also known as the palazzo del Bo, uh held about 250 spectators
1: damn
0: which is wild that's a lot of people and i believe it's six uh Levels. concentric galleries yeah i yeah. think so so yeah if you're in just a member of the public you're not really seeing all that great Anyway, probably.
1: <laughs> you can't see much blood in the nosebleeds. Yeah. Like you
0: go to a baseball game and you're like, listen, let's be real. We're just up here having fun. I don't actually know what's going on down there.
1: Pass the junior mints. Yes. Yeah,
0: I'm just having beer. I don't know what's happening. <laughs> I can't keep track of the game.
1: Oh my God.
0: So, yeah. So as I mentioned before, there is the pri- the priority would be the professors, the rectors of the city as well would be prioritized counselors and members of the medical colleges. So and even the nobility, like people who were of the upper crust, got priority. Yeah, seating. of this course, is, This is like a society thing, because fucking is- of course. Right. Second and third rows were students. And then the rest is like the, the rebel.
1: The rebel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You yeah it,
0: it reminds me a lot. Also, like <laughs> even of like Elizabethan theater and stuff like that. Like in, a, in an actual theater,
1: yeah. similarly
0: stacked. Right? I'm thinking
1: of the Globe and yeah. you know these amazing structures that were built. You know from a, from a church that's built with a certain kind of proscenium altar to a to the Globe to the anatomical theater. They all have very different purposes. Yeah, but they're all sort of cousins of each other in terms yeah. of the ordering of society. And yes, of course. What, and what because we're
0: yes, and because this is an Italian structure, it looks a lot like the fucking Colosseum. It, it really does. does. It does. You know? um, so yeah, it looks like when you're looking at the photo of it, Luke, and when our listeners take a look at it too, it does have this funnel shape uh, that almost makes it look like a telescope. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> Look at it, like moving out into the sky, and the idea, of course, being at the center of this is a body on a table. Right. And and you can't help but look to the center. It's like. That's it's the, the only thing to really look at.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's the thrust of your attention. You can only go through that little oculus to yes. get through the, the bottom.
0: Yes, and it's and it's made entirely of wood. And apparently, it was wood from like different regions that makes it like extra special and stuff. Mm. It's absolutely fascinating just the history of the structure itself. Oh, amazing. Um, but under the main entrance, there is a 16th century Latin inscription that reads: "This is a place where the dead are pleased to help the living."
1: Aww.
0: Na, na against their knowledge
1: (laughs) (laughs) if they knew if only they knew Uh, yeah nothing like a quote above the door to like just wrap it all up in a bow and make you feel good about it
0: yes yes so um so i was actually wrong because i'm reading through my notes again that the condition they they actually kept those those additions that were made by by one of the what did we decide it was going to be an, 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 an anatomists, anatomists. <laughs> in the 1800s uh, that they d- that the skylight actually is still there, apparently. Well, and, by now it's
1: 200 years old. Now it's historic in its own right.
0: I mean, sure. <laughs> absolutely. 1800s. Yes. And they elevated the dissection table to make it easier to see the body also, apparently. OK. And prior to the 1800s, we're also I think it was probably retrofitted with electricity, obviously, because it was still being used. Um, you know, you would have to have candles placed around the cadaver. Uh, there were no windows. So, you know, you're not getting great light in here. So you could only do them during the day. But like I said, even these like, you know, university driven ones, you're talking about three to six days of dissecting in this room. And wow. it must have stank. And so that's more than one specimen we had in there. No, that's a person. That's a One body. Specimen for three to six days. That's a human being. Yeah. Mm. No, and I mean, when they were dissecting it, they were dissecting it.
1: Right. So it's Bethel Monday through Saturday. That's her <laughs> next show next week. Somebody else. Yeah. Johnny. Bethel. <laughs> <laughs> Ber- Bertha. To Bethel. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Stupid. <laughs> But anyway, this kicks off the golden age of anatomical feeders throughout wow. Europe for uh, really a couple hundred years. And they had that oncoming flow of interest. So therefore, they also needed an oncoming flow of corpses. And they were generally the bodies of criminals. Uh, mm. Some places were able to procure recently dead from hospitals that perhaps bodies were unclaimed or whatever, but uh, more often than not, we're talking about people who were executed.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: There's an article from uh, History Today that summed it up really, really creepily, where it said, a trip to the anatomical theater went hand in hand with viewing a public execution. Shortly after viewing a hanging or execution, witnesses could then see the same individual being dissected, and a strange, macabre, and popular source of urban entertainment began to unfold.
1: Fascinating. So, like, you know, what what? It's it, uh, the
0: next level after watching a public execution. That's the
1: real show. Yeah. This is
0: where, like, let's separate the men from the boys now. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, you could just stand there and watch someone die. Come with me.
1: Yeah. Come over here. I'll try it for three or four days. Yeah. Oh, my God. This is fascinating.
0: So this is the other side of this, because we talked about all the merits of the anatomical theaters. But this mm-hmm. is like the grosser side of it for these non-medical professionals. It was entertainment. It was a curiosity. In some cities, it really was like for the well-to-do and a place to be seen.
1: Right. Right. And it's almost like, you know, your number of flight hours, like how many dissections have you borne witness to, yes, you know, because that speaks to your level about. of knowledge.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And it could be as simple as I have an interest, a wide interest in a wide variety of things. I'm I'm very curious to know how the human body works. And for other people, it literally could be like, so is everybody going to the one on Tuesday?
1: <laughs> yes. Tailgating. Yeah. <laughs> We tailgate outside. We park our horses. And no joke. You know, it included music. Music! Included
0: some of the cities would have music. No way. It, I swear to God. In Not during the actual dissection, but like pre-gaming.
1: Okay. okay. In
0: Bologna, specifically, their public dissections happened during uh, their version of Carnival. Okay. Which is kind of that secular holiday before lent starts Mm -hmm. people would show up in like colorful masks and they would be fucking partying and it would just be part of like the event
1: yeah part of the lineup because that also yeah
0: this goes on for days let's have a great time let's open this guy up and see what's going on inside his liver
1: (laughs) but it makes perfect sense especially i love that homage you made to the coliseum because mm-hmm. that was all about, you know, public exi- exhibition of blood and violence. Watching people
0: get eviscerated.
1: Yeah. And this is just a different, a different mode of that um, version
0: of that. Oof. Yeah. I know. It's really,
1: people are fucked it's up. It's shocking. It's <laughs> shocking. Because we're so removed from that. We talked about that a couple times in our episodes of just how abstract death is for us today. Yeah. I know. And how you have to elect. To kind of go into this kind of situation. Yeah. Whereas it was more public in this in this scenario.
0: Yeah. So so it's really this gives it that again, going back to what I said at the beginning, like, like a dime museum vibe. Mm-hmm. That it's there for, for sure. like fun. And that actually seems to be part of the downfall of the use of anatomical theaters, one of the many. <laughs> um, because the people who were there who were actually trying to study medicine and learn, um, sometimes it was too raucous they couldn't focus they're there trying to fucking take notes and maybe draw pictures and like absorb what's happening in front of them and it's really difficult because there's these fucking drunk people up in the rafters I would love to like find some security anatomical theater security guards diary (laughs) (laughs) like what happened
1: (laughs) Yeah, good. Well, it's like, you know, if you're not careful, if you, you know, you could just end up on the table the next day if you're, you know, if you get, if you get really oh, sick, if I you mean, get really sick at the theater. Who knows? And whatever. listen,
0: we don't know how all of these bodies were necessarily obtained, what was above board and what was not. But uh, what we do know is that like many of our weird little fads we talk about on this show, this one comes to a close sometime around the 19th century, but in its place, something far more disturbing, but also scientifically important. Pops up, Mm. and that is the operating theaters.
1: Mm. And
0: that is where I will pick up next time. It's my turn to speak (laughs) to you at the Marvin Museum. But before I go, here are a few other anatomical theaters that are still standing today. I thought there would be none in the United States because we're just not that old. And this really was like a 15, 16s, 1700s kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But there's Davidge Hall in Baltimore, Maryland, which is definitely one where there was some uh, grave robbing Mm -hmm. issues big Mm -hmm. time. Uh, Interesting stories behind that one. There's the Indiana Medical History Museum. And that is in what used to be their old pathology building in the Central State Hospital for the Insane.
1: Oh, dear. How scary
0: must that room be? Uh,
1: nesting doll of issues there. Yeah. <laughs> so
0: terrifying. Um, what's really interesting about it, which I think is very different from some of these other places, is that they describe it as a time capsule from the late 19th and early 20th centuries because it's untouched since then. and right. it, is, it is the oldest surviving pathology facility in the United States. It's actually on the National Registrar of Historic Places here.
1: There's something really fascinating about how hospitals build and expand. A good friend of mine is a medical professional in the city, and he describes to me: he takes these kind of authorized, because he works there. He takes these kind of back backdoor tours of Bellevue, mm. and you know what they do is they just leave behind an old wing and they build a new wing, and they might take out mattress pads or whatever they they need, but then it's otherwise preserved and it's left behind. So I have a question, and that is: is the architecture similar in these American examples to the sort of ancient European examples or were they somewhat modified from what you can glean?
0: So the that's a great question. So I learned a little bit about the architecture in general for anatomical theaters. So a lot of them start in this style that's created in Padua and others kind of modify depending on what country you're in. Mm-hmm. Some of them don't stick with that style necessarily that sort of more cone shape they have oh and by the way the a big thing I forgot to mention is this is standing room only so like you. you're not you're not you're not seated for this in the Padua versions if you look at some of the operating theaters that we're going to talk about next week and some of the ones in the states I believe some of those actually do have seating definitely in the operating theaters but yeah they're do- they're not all following this same formula per mm-hmm, se but mm-hmm. that 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 is the blueprint the, right. the one at from padua university but yeah i would love to see the one in indianapolis it sounds insane
1: that sounds awesome and yeah, yeah theater in the round to an all-new perspective you know yes so to speak
0: yes and there's one in barcelona there's one in amsterdam there's there's several in italy one in uh pavia one in Bologna still, uh, one in Uppsala's in Sweden. Uh, oh wow! There's one in Berlin. So, and these are all ancient structures. I mean, I think maybe the of the ones I just named, the youngest one is from like the early 1700s or something. That's so fascinating. It's it's and it's fabulous also. And some of them turned into actual museums. Some of them are more of historical structures and historic sites now, but none of them continue to operate as anatomy (laughs) theaters because that's not a thing anymore
1: not a real thing
0: yeah no now students learn their anatomy in a closed room in a safe space where Mm -hmm. it's ventilated (laughs) (laughs) you'll probably get to wear a mask maybe you have some vicks vapor rub under your nose
1: (laughs) yeah thinking of signs of the lambs
0: (laughs) a hundred (laughs) percent So yeah, hopefully this didn't make any of you too nauseous because... If you got upset with this one, just wait till we get to the operating theater.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You definitely softened the blow as much as possible, uh, which I appreciate. You're welcome. And um, yeah, this is a really fascinating idea. And it absolutely dovetails with what we were talking about with John Mm -hmm. um, in terms of who has access to the kind of medical specimens we need to study. And we understand, you know, hopefully people can kind of make these connections, too, is that we've been hung up as humans about what's going on inside we want to know what's yeah. going on inside and i think the whole thing with like humors and phrenology it's all a way of like abstractifying because yeah. we probably didn't have access and couldn't understand quite yet what was going on inside so it was easier to say there's humors this is out of whack you know you're yeah. bloodletting absolutely that's as comfortable as we could get with treating someone without killing them and cutting them open Yeah. Um, and so, also in the acts, and the access to, to medical specimens was just not, was a, was a real privilege. And Absolutely. so, I was really taken by the idea that the necessity to make this a public viewing for a couple hundred people was That's really, its reason, came yeah. down to the availability of, of yeah. cadavers.
0: <laughs> we're not allowed to do that many, and we don't have that many bodies. So, we're going to have to figure out get to get as many eyes and on this that, possible. And that, my friends, is human ingenuity at its finest
1: (laughs) absolutely absolutely yeah this is a brilliant edutainment discussion for sure
0: yeah and it also reminded me of john because of all of these people of medicine they agreed with him that like everyone should be able to understand this Mm -hmm. and study this which is partially why they said yeah the public's curious let the public fucking check it out and then we get extra money to like pay for all the fucking instruments and stuff we need for the university this is right. great. So it was like, we, it's win, win, win. But they agreed with that idea. Like, this shouldn't be an elitist thing. Cordained do off, I yeah. want to do it? No, I do not. <laughs> <laughs> and that's that.
1: Wonderful. Thank you for that lovely uh, adventure. And I look forward to part two coming up. Yay. Um, which we're very excited. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Morbid Museum podcast. Please remember to rate and subscribe to the Morbid Museum podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. And please leave us a comment or review wherever you can. Please reach out to us via Gmail at themorbidmuseum at gmail.com, email. And you can follow us on Instagram and TikTok at themorbidmuseum. Until next time, we'll see you for another gallery talk inside the Morbid Museum. Thanks for joining us. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.